No Exit with Nicholas Corris contains explicit language and content. Listener discretion is advised. Ding dong, went the doorbell. Well, hello. That's a heck of a costume you got there, buddy. Oh, I'll be darned. The man at the door holding the bowl of candy wouldn't take his eyes off the towering giant of a man standing on his front porch right now. The man had an NBA height and prison-worthy bodybuilder muscles. There was a stained burlap sack over his head and a filthy old rotting noose around his neck. His pale flesh was covered in scars, burns, slashes, and holes that looked as if they had oozed black blood and that was now dried and stained on his flesh. In his left hand, he carried a very realistic, in fact, no, it was real, iron hook that was sharp at the end. The worst part was that this guy even smelled like a grave, like wet dirt and old meat. The man at the door swallowed. Well, now you're quite the spooky man. You sure got me. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, you look a little old for trick-or-treating, don't you think? <laughs> The big, stinky grave man lifted the hook up and plunged it down into the mouth of the man holding the candy bowl, which he dropped on contact. The man tried to scream but couldn't as he choked on the cold metal lodged in his face hole as it spurted blood. He moaned, eyes rolling in the back of his head, then fell to the floor when the grave man released the hook from his jaw. The grave man kicked the body inside and shut the door. Before he left the porch, he eyeballed the bowl of spilled candy for just a moment, now dabbed in blood, then turned and kept walking down the suburban street. Back out into the block, a group of screaming, laughing children in colorful costumes raced past the grave man's legs over a ditch bridge. He stopped to watch them, and when he turned back, his shoulder bumped into someone. Hey, a big lunk, watch where you're going, said a woman. She wore black lipstick, had black hair, and was in a black, spidery dress. She looked very much like a mixture of a grieving widow and a dockside shantytown harlot, yet smelled like the cask of rancid liquor with dead rats floating around in it. The same kind that he had purchased from the pot-bellied merchant outside of Norfolk, and got so astoundingly drunk on it that he ended up on a canoe in a river somewhere in Virginia, with seven arrows sticking out of his chest. Of course, that was before he died. <laughs> Can you believe this freak show? She said to no one, thumbing a polished black fingernail at him. <laughs> this guy, he's really getting his reps in, am I right? She laughed at her own joke once again, and he tried to step away from her. Hey, get back here! You know, you kind of remind me of my ex-boyfriend's hump. Man, he was stupid. Hold on while I get my camera. We gotta take a picture. This is so dumb. You smell like shit. The drunken woman in all black stood in front of the grave man and made a kissy face while she tried to hold her camera phone. Then they heard a voice behind them. Excuse me, said an elderly woman, holding a tray of caramel apples. I saw you talking to my husband out in the yard a moment ago. I turned away for a second to change the channel from that awful singing show and he was gone. I looked everywhere. Did you happen to see? The grave man brought down his sharpened hook on the old woman's head, splitting her skull and killing her as her apple tray went tumbling to the ground. He grabbed the scruff of her sweater collar as her body slumped down to wrench his hook out tossed her over the side of the bridge where the body hit the concrete with a heavy splat. 
The woman in all black's mouth hung open as she watched the grave man walk away and down the street. Not taking her eyes off of him, she felt around in her purse for a pint bottle of tequila, unscrewed it, and took a long drink. She turned away and walked in the opposite direction, going slow, making sure not to make any sudden moves. Ding dong, went the doorbell. Hold on, hold on, said the elderly woman from inside the house. Just a minute now, I'll be right out. I have to find my... Ah, there it is. Good. The grave man stood motionless in front of the door, waiting. A group of children in costume saw him standing there, then kept moving. Something about the big man scared them, and not in your regular plastic skeleton type of way. Almost there, said the old woman. Then, he heard a bump and something crashed to the ground. Oh, shit. Ow, I'll get it in a minute. He could hear her footsteps as she walked up to the door and swung it open. The woman looked about three feet tall, at least from his angle, and had gray hair squished into a loose bun coming out of the ends, and two large, milky-white cataracts in both of her eyes. She wore pumpkin pajamas and had a bowl filled with black and orange candies and wax paper. He said nothing, and the smile dropped from her face. Joseph? She said, then put her palm on her face. Oh, goodness, I am sorry. You're not Joseph. I know that. He was as big as an oak tree and smelled like burning rubber and hog. He worked at the rendering plant, fell into the vats and died in the 60s. Guess you reminded me of him. How horribly embarrassing. The grave man stood still. Oh, and I'm so sorry for the delay in answering the door. I was just looking for this little thing here. She held up a little flesh-colored box attached to a ball chain hanging around her neck and smiled. In the center of the box was a bright red button. Now, at my age, you have to worry about these things. You see, if I take a tumble or accidentally stick my hand in the garbage disposal, I just hit this little button in the middle here and then the ambulance comes. Or that's what it's supposed to do. I got at Betty Francesco's yard sale. That was, of course, before the carcinoma wiped out her brain matter. Poor thing. All she could do was stare out into the void and piss herself. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. My language. Children could be listening. Urinate. She urinated herself, I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. Where are my manners? I've been prattling on here. She turned around, placing the bowl of candy on a nearby table, and got down on the floor to clean up the dirt from the knocked-over plant on a ceramic pumpkin pot. So anyway, I keep the button on me just in case I need it. I mean, just look how accident-prone I am. But if I have to be completely honest, I'm not scared to go when it's my time. Oh, I get it. The final destination into the darkness and all that. I understand it all perfectly well. But once we have to go, we have to go. I just don't like the idea of some gas meter checker or delivery boy having to get a whiff of my slimy corpse rotting in the shower in case I take a spill reaching for the gold bond powder and I smash my head into a pile of human mincemeat if you catch my drift. The woman seemed to stop mid-thought, and her head raised up, looking right at him. Hold on. The graveman stood still, as he had been this whole time. Do you hear that? The graveman stood still, as he had been this whole time. Oh my goodness, I'm missing it! The woman got up and ran into her living room. For as old as she looked, she was surprisingly fast and agile. Oh, come in here quickly and shut the door, Bartholomew. It's getting cold out. The grave man turned and slammed the door shut, and walked his way into the living room where the old woman stood a foot in front of the television, wide-eyed but unable to really see anything. 
A black and white movie flickered in her face. Midnight at Terror Castle. Oh, my favorite. Tess O'Neill, Rudy Anderson, and Sven Glitterer as the Baron. Oh, there's nothing like a classic. Am I right? The old woman stood up and ran into her kitchen, the bottoms of her bare feet slapping on the linoleum as she went. She rummaged around in there, slamming cabinet doors all while she talked to him from the next room. You see, this was the last movie that didn't have to fall under the rating system as we know it today. That's where you get all the sexual innuendos and the gore. In fact, the legend is that this is one of the movies that helped usher in a whole new area of censorship in advisory movies. He could hear the chirping sound of buttons being pressed on a microwave, then the refrigerator door being thrown open. And you see, actually, there were a lot of movies that had scintillating sex and violence at the time, but the problem is that none of those movies were actually good. This one, however, is actually good. The grave man stared at the flickering images on the television and watched as a man in prosthetic goblin makeup skulked his way across a dark shore, staring at a woman and a man in a boat. The couple were getting closer to each other, right before the spark of a kiss would happen. The woman pulls a knife from the back of her dress and stabs the man in the heart. This sends him overboard, dropping down into the black ocean water while a wicked smile spreads across her face. The grave man sat himself down on her couch, now interested in the moving pictures show, though he kept his hand on his sharp hook. The old woman shuffled into the living room with a bowl of plain, salt-and-butter-free popcorn and a glass of red wine. She jammed a handful into her mouth and then took a sip of her wine. Now, no one knew it at the time, Richard, but Rudy Anderson had a wife named Judy who was sleeping with the actor Judge Nelson. He was completely furious during the making of this and was rumored to have a violent altercation with craft services. Of course, the way the story goes, it could have just as easily been Sven Glitterer who assaulted someone on set as he was addicted to speed at the time, which was actually pretty easy to find in those days, not to mention legal. Ding dong, went the doorbell. Oh dear me, it must be more trick-or-treaters coming! She put down her wine and jumped up to get the door. The grave man sat and watched. Hello, she said from the door. Oh, can I help you? The grave man could hear the murmuring of a male voice, but couldn't quite make it out over the loudness of the television. Oh, goodness. Oh my, that's awful. Just awful. No, no, I, I haven't seen anything, but I'll certainly let you know if I do. Absolutely. Have a good night, officers, and stay safe. Happy Halloween! She shut the door and made her way back out onto the couch, where she sat excited like a child of pretzel style and bounced on the cushions as she took another sip of her wine. Right, now where were we? Ah, yes. Now, I'm as blind as a bat these days, Peter, so I can't very well make out anything from here. And I don't need to. Why, I've seen this so often I could practically replay the whole thing in my head. In fact, do you hear that man talking right now? That's Clive Schuster. Now, after this, he went on to do Teenage Drive-In Bloodbath. That was nearly 20 years later, and those were some of those cheap color exploitation moves he's ever made. God, I love some of those. Anyway, he did about a dozen of them, all just about the same. Some were better than others. You know, he recently just died, about four years ago, from a heart attack in a dive bar in Reno is what I heard. Poor dear. Anyway...
curled up under a fleece blanket with pumpkins on it. The old woman's eyes had been shut for a while now, yet she had managed to talk during the entire movie, even as the credits had rolled. Now you see... Oh, goodness. The studio fought up and down to get that ending changed. They wanted something a little bit more positive. But the director, Sid Marthas, you know, that's the one I told you about, who died at one of William Florentine's all-male sex parties. Now, he fought back just as hard to get that ending to stay. His argument was that how can you have a happy ending when your protagonist is not only a murderer, but the heiress to a... Oh, goodness. Castle full of fucking goblins. Mm. He never worked with Richmond Studios again, but in the end they almost admitted that he was right. I mean, everyone knew he was right. Oh, my goodness. That wine made me sleepy, William. I couldn't even finish that second bottle. Oh my, what's playing right now? Ah, oh, the demon in Vyaka Flats. Yes, I recognize the music. That's a good one, too. Did you know the man in the opening scene really got his arm bit off by a Gila monster? Oh, yes, that's right. I believe he caught tuberculosis in a commune with Raymond Durge's sister and... The old woman's head slumped over and she was asleep, snoring. The flickering pictures on the screen were too colorful and flashy for the grave man now, and he couldn't quite figure out what he was watching. He itched his cold head under the burlap sack and stood up, then turned to the old woman, watching her breath rise and fall, watching her sleep. He turned away from her and made his way out, making sure to close the front door as he left. The grave man was now back on the street, and everything was now dark and silent. Kids were gone. The decorations were no longer on, and the candles and the pumpkins had all been snuffed. He wandered through the neighborhoods for a long time, looking for some signs of life or any kind of activity. Far on the edges of the neighborhood, he found a skinny man in a black and red cape. He was holding a pumpkin pail in one hand and a hose nozzle in the other. He was spraying off a papery white substance from a tree that was turning into mush. The man's face was slathered in white cream makeup and he had two flimsy, sharpened teeth sticking out from his mouth. Hey there, pal, said the man with the lisp from his fangs. Looks like the kid got my tree. Boy, I tell ya, the wife's pretty upset and I don't blame her. But me, I gotta say, I love it. Makes me smile to see these kids doing the same old stupid garbage I did myself as a young man on Halloween. The grave man turned and looked at the man spraying off his tree covered in white goop and could not think what possibly could make the connection between what he was doing and what he was saying. The man sighed and stopped his spraying. Oh well, that'll have to do for now. I'll get the rest in the morning. Say, great outfit there, pal. Oh, would you look at that? Hey, hold out your hand for a minute. The grave man stood still for a moment, and then let out a large, clammy hand with his blackened fingernails, and turned it upward. The pale man reached inside his pumpkin pail and put two waxy candy rolls in it, one black and one orange, just like at the old woman's house. Looks like I got a few treats left. Guess they're all yours, buddy. Hey, happy Halloween. The grave man stood looking at the candy and the pale man went inside his home 
turning off his porch light after closing the door. The grave man gently clasped his dead hand around the pieces of candy and looked around. All he could hear was the breeze and the sound of the ocean, and that told him he was near the cemetery, back home, where his grave was. The grave man made his way back, pushing past the rusty iron gate and into the corner where his tombstone lay and the fresh mounds of dirt where he dug himself up from. He climbed into the hole and lay there for a moment and felt for his candy. He placed the orange one between his two fingers and pulled at the ends to make it spiral open. He lifted his burlap sack and placed it inside his slimy, rotten, purple mouth. He couldn't taste it, but could feel its sticky texture sit and soak as he rolled it between his shattered, decaying teeth. A slight breeze kicked up between the dried leaves and made a delightful chorus of papery rustling. The grave man put his hands behind his head and looked up into the starry night sky. Maybe he'd wake up in another hundred years and exact his revenge on the town. And then again, when a hundred years came, maybe he wouldn't. Halloween.